I'm glad Brett's very excited uh, about this. Hey, you can grab your Bible and you can make your way to Matthew chapter 22. I'm supposed to speak with brevity this morning, and I am so fired up that I might have to speak multiple times with brevity. Um, so I have a tendency to start talking way too fast. Um, so uh, I-, I want you to know this. It has been a, a joy and an honor to, to serve alongside you as a church. Uh, it has been a joy and an honor to have Alan Franz as a friend of mine for many years. Um, Alan uh, mentioned earlier our, our friendship and connection, and there are many times where I sat on the phone with him uh, for hours. Uh, rather, he sat on the phone with me for hours, uh, listening to me when I was struggling early on in ministry, not really sure what to do and what was next. Um, and so God has just given us kindred spirits, uh, always grateful and appreciative of the ministry that he does here uh, and the work that gets done through all of you. So it's been an honor to be a, a part of this weekend. Uh, I love Disciple Now weekend because it gives us a snapshot of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus Christ. It gives us multiple categories all in one weekend that remind us that following Jesus has to be about much more than coming to a church service. It has to be much more than our preferences on music or seating or the way the walls are painted or what color the carpet is. It has to be much bigger than our church's history and more about the hope of the future and what the church has to continue to be in the days ahead. So whenever these students gather, well, then you get all these adults that come alongside of them and host homes and co-hosts and people transporting them and then they're doing mission projects. It is a it is a microcosm of what it means to be kingdom-minded followers of Jesus Christ that realize we have a mission to be on. So as we approach this weekend, the theme is bigger than. And so on Friday night, we talked about this idea that God is bigger than our fears. God is bigger than our fears. And we have them. And we, we, we walk through this idea that fear controls us. Fear controls us. Right now, you might be going like, it doesn't control me. You want to bet in church? You want to bet? How many things do you not do because you're afraid of what might happen? How many things do you do because you're afraid of what might happen? Fear controls us. And we look at this idea that not all fear is bad. There is a fear and an awe and a reverence for the Lord Almighty that He is God and I am not. And that's a good holy fear. But there's another fear that controls us, that keeps us from becoming what we really are called and designed to be. We talked about this idea that uh, the, the issue that God is bigger than our sin. The greatest enemy in any one of our lives is the sin that abides within us. It's the sin that has broken us from our creator. It's the sin that leads to the most unfair act in history. The fact that the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, came to become sin for us. That as we were separated from God, as we were separated from our creator, separated from the purpose that he had for us, that Jesus was willing to stand in the gap and be nailed on a cross, not for crimes he had committed against the Father, but for crimes we have committed against God Almighty. And that Jesus was willing to pay that price. Last night we, we looked at the idea that God is bigger than unfairness. You ever said that? Well, that's not fair. If you have kids, have they ever told you that? Well, that's not fair. It's as simple as, here, some goldfish. And you put them in a bowl, 
and then one of your kids calculates that the other kid has three more than they do. Well, that's not fair. And then you take both bowls and you throw them just out in the yard and be like, well, there, go get them. <laughs> Fairness. How many times have you asked yourself, it might, you might not say it out loud anymore, but mentally, you watch another family go through something, you watch somebody else be blessed, you watch somebody else, you know they're cheating, but they're getting away with it and actually it looks like they're getting away with it and actually getting blessed through it and you just sit in your head, this isn't fair. How many life circumstances are you in the middle of right now and that's what's in your head, it's not fair. So we looked at this idea that God is bigger than the unfairness that we experience and let's be really, really honest that there are unfair things that happen in life. There are things that are not justice in this life. So we looked at the life of Job and we looked at the bookends. And we looked at the beginning part of Job where it's Job is upright. He fears the Lord. He's doing good. I mean, he is making all the right choices. And the Lord is blessing him. And then his children, they got some issues, but he's praying for them. And he's, he's consecrating them. And he's saying, Lord, I want my children to follow you and know you. And you look at that and you go like, that's amazing. That's the way it's supposed to be. The Lord, we, we want people to be blessed when they're honoring the Lord. And then you get the very end of the book, 40 some odd chapters later, where Job has gone through some things. He's even questioned the Lord's goodness. But the scripture said that he didn't sin in the midst of the struggle. And the Lord blesses him and he has twice as much as he ever had before and he lives a long life and he sees his grandchildren he sees generations behind him and he gets to watch all of that and his life is a lesson for us but then you have all the middle of job we don't want to talk about the middle of the book of job we want to talk about it should be fair everything should work out in my favor i'm doing the best i can to follow jesus so why is all this happening to me and we want the, the, the last part. And if you're a biblically minded Christian, you understand this, that this life is temporary. This is temporary. This is not it. So I don't care how much money you make, how many awards you get, how many acclaims that you get, how big your house is, all that stuff. That's great. If the Lord blesses you, you use it for his kingdom. But this is not the end. At some point, this body is going to die if Jesus isn't coming back, back again before that. And the older I get, the more I'm like, Are you, how about now? You want to come now? How about now? And now, okay, no, no. So until then, we struggle. There's unfairness. And there's unfairness because of our own sin that we create in our lives, because of the sin of other people that are around us. And we also live in a broken world. We are a part of a broken system. And there is only one who can forgive our sins, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's paid the bill. He's got the receipt. He's got you covered if you'll come to him. And then there's only one who can restore the brokenness in the relationships that we have with other people. And that's Jesus Christ. So your broken marriage, your broken friendships, your broken uh, experiences in this life, only Jesus can repair those. And then when it comes to this world that is broken and is a horrific mess, it's only Jesus who can shoot hope into hopeless places. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of the unfairness, in the midst of the brokenness of this world. It is only Jesus that can reconcile those things. And so whenever we have a, an opportunity to have a weekend like this, this is one of those weekends that we, we want to remember and we want to embrace what God has called us to do. So the big question is not will I suffer in this life. That's not the question. The question is, how will I respond when I suffer in this life? Because of my own sin, because of others' sins, because I live in a broken world. How am I going to respond? And Job gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like 
to respond in brokenness and weeping, yet never cursing the Lord and just trusting Him. So this morning, as, we've, as we have a few moments, I want to I throw at you um, three of, I think, the biggest ideas that, that the Scriptures give us that help us navigate in this imperfect world. Anybody wake up in an imperfect world today? Yeah, listen, there's not enough caffeine after uh, a couple of days with a bunch of teenagers, okay? It's caffeine and Jesus. That's what's going to get you through. And a good nap this afternoon. But what do we do? What do we do? How do we follow Jesus in an imperfect world? On the days where we're not happy and the days where we're excited, when the days we are full of dread and the days that, man, we are just ready to rejoice. What do we do? Well, first of all, today's a big day. And so... As I get into these big ideas, can we just come together in a spirit of unity on one thing? Can we, can we all come in agreement for one thing about today? Can we come to a place where we agree and we ask the Lord to give Philadelphia the ability to rise up on wings of eagles? Because there is a wicked evil that plagues the land. And may we see victory today. Some of you are like, I'm done. You see, you have nothing else to say to me. Matthew chapter 22, look what happens. Some of you, if that's the only thing you remember from, from today, I failed you. The greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. There's been a lot of questioning. The Sadducees have questioned Jesus about the resurrection because they reject the idea of the resurrection. And so in verse 34, it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that the, that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the first thing that we need to remember as we try to follow Jesus in an imperfect world is this greatest commandment. This moment, they come to Jesus trying to trap him. They want him to fall on his face. They want to find some way to accuse him of not really honoring the Lord and coming against them. They want to get rid of them. And so they come with a lawyer with clever wording and a clever question. And they ask him, so what do we need to do? What's the greatest commandment of all of them? And Jesus says, oh, good question. I will answer that. I'm actually going to give you uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to give you the Shema, what the Jews would pray in the morning and in the evening. I'm going to give you that, that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with everything that you have, everything that's in you, and they will come out of you. You need to love the Lord with all of that. And since you asked me what the greatest commandment is, I want to give you a two-part answer to a one-part question. I'm going to give you one A and one B. The first one, what we just said. Love the Lord with everything that you have. Not a piece, not a percentage, but with everything from the core of who you are. And then he says, now because you're going to love the Lord your God with everything that you have, here's the overflow. You're going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's no limit to this. 
So you're going to love the Lord your God with everything that you've got, holding nothing back, and then you're going to love your neighbor holding nothing back. Jesus later on in the gospel account says, I don't want you to just love me, or not, I just want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want you to love your neighbor as I have loved you. An unconditional, sacrificial love. Let's not forget that we were not on Team Jesus when he died on the cross for us. The scriptures say that we were enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To take his enemies into an adoption that makes us friends and family. That is an unbelievable truth. So if we're going to follow Jesus in an imperfect world, it doesn't happen on just one weekend, students. This is like a a linchpin moment. It connects your past to your future from what happened now, what's happening tomorrow. You've kind of been pulled away from everything else that you've been involved in. And you've had a couple of days where people have said, we want to flood you with the truth of God. We want to flood you with this love. But listen, we're, we're leaving this place and you're going back to your home and your address and whatever thing that you put on this cross that you wrote on that lock you've had a moment where you've said i want to trust the lord no matter what this is but this has not gone away but hopefully as you go away from this place there'll be something new inside of you a new help a new truth more friends people to help you walk through whatever seasons that you're in. But we're called to love God with everything that we have, and we're called to love other people. The other part of that is this this greatest commission. The greatest commission. You can flip over to Matthew chapter 28. I mean, these are Jesus' words as he's about to ascend into heaven. This makes these words extremely powerful. One, they're from Jesus. Two, they're the last words that he shares before he ascends into heaven. So Matthew chapter 28, 18, 19, and 20, all right in that. You've got you to gotta understand that this is the greatest commission possible. You may have been commissioned to a lot of different things in your life. There will be people that set you up, set you apart to go do a task. But this one comes from Jesus. And it's the greatest commission you could ever imagine. And this is what we have to be about if we're going to be following Jesus in an imperfect world. That, at practically walking through the idea that God is bigger than whatever is in front of us. Whatever dreams we have, whatever futures in front of us, whatever opportunities and struggles, whatever unfair things are coming at us, whatever we might fear. So the greatest commandment. Now, remember what's going on here. Jesus has called out disciples, and they spent three years with him. They were with him all the time, and they watched incredible things. They listened to Jesus as he taught in the synagogue, and they're like, man, he's got something different about it. He ain't just reading the scroll like he's bringing the word. There's truth here. You can can feel the Lord speaking to us as he opens the scrolls. And they watched him as he debated and people came and questioned him. They watched how he worked through that. And then they watched moments where they'll be walking through town and then here's a blind man, blind from birth. And Jesus gets some dirt and hocks a loogie and puts it together and smears it on the dude's eyes. You got that oil painting in your house? Yeah, no. So... He does this, and then all of a sudden the blind man can see. And then there's someone who's mute and has never been able to say, Hello, I love you, to his children. And Jesus is able to see him, and he's going to freeze his tongue, and he's able to speak. And these people hear this man speak for the first time. Or there's the lame beggars, that they've not been able to do anything except have someone drag them to the city where they could just beg, just for basic living. And he says, Take up your mat and walk. And the guy, like, gets up carries it off and is like 
He didn't even have to learn how to walk. He just did. All of these moments that you see, these are jaw-dropping moments with Jesus that if you've been in church very long, you just read them and you're like, and then Jesus healed the blind man. And that is the absolute worst thing that we could ever do is lose the awe of what Jesus has done and who he is. Whenever I walk into a church and you can tell the spirit's flat, you know what that reminds me? That they have forgotten how big God is. That they have forgotten how extraordinary Jesus is. And they're more worried about horizontal things than they are consumed with the vertical. And guess what? It sucks the spirit out. It sucks the kingdom impact out of the community. And it becomes a place that is cancerous rather than hope and infusing life and meaning in the community. Praise God that Central is not that church. Praise God that Central understands who Jesus is and wants to give us a bigger view of who God is. You know what my greatest concerns is? One of my greatest concerns is that we've decided in America that people don't want the real truth from God's Word. They don't really want to know about the one true God. They're too offended by that. They don't want to really know the Jesus who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They don't want that Jesus. They want soft, cuddly Jesus. Let me tell you this. The American church needs to stop preaching a ghost gospel where it might appear to be powerful, but it has no substance because we've removed the power. And the power is the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ, that he is our only hope. And so whenever whenever Jesus stands there and he tells his disciples who have walked with him all this time, remember, they've been with him and then Jesus was betrayed and Jesus was beaten. They watched his flesh being peeled off of him. They watched people mock him and spit on him and pluck his beard and put a crown of thorns on his head. And they watched him being nailed to the cross because he had done nothing wrong, but he'd done everything right. And he said, I love them so much, even though they're apart from me, I will do whatever it takes to bring them back to be apart with us. I will pay that price. And as he hung on that cross, they watched and they were scared and they weren't unsure about the future. And they watched them take him off the cross and put him in a tomb and they rolled a stone and they went back and they were hiding in a room with the door locked. Not knowing what was coming next, and Jesus shows up in the room. Fear not. (gasps) What happens in that moment, in the 40 days that Jesus hangs around with those disciples and appears to others and shows up and does things and he shows off his wounds and he's like, I'm here, but listen, don't cling to me too closely because I got to go. Because there's another part of the mission and it's going to be actually better for me that I will go because I will send a helper. And trust me, he's what you need. Because Jesus, in his physical state, he was in the room. You could touch him. You could be with him. But he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come to each and every believer and he's going to equip you no matter where you are. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what you're struggling, I'm going to put him inside of you. And he's going to live in you, transform you, and do things through you that's much better than me just standing in the room with you. And he says, so I'm going to have to go, fellas. And so they go from like, Jesus is going to put us back in charge. Jesus is doing amazing things. They just killed our hope. What do we do now? To Jesus, he's back. And they ask them the question, is this now when you're going to do it? You're going to establish the kingdom here? Now we're going to be in power? Now this is going to rule? Like, this is it. And Jesus says, no, 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 i got to go. And so before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says this. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples 
of all nations. It says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you. To the end of the age. Go. Do it on purpose. Be intentional. Make disciples. Don't just tell them. Show them. Dad, don't just tell your kids to go to church. Don't just make them get in the car. Show them what it means to follow Jesus. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. It it all works together. Every single one of us is making disciples. Every single one of us. The greatest religion in America is sports. It just is. I ain't going to come bag on that and hate on that. I love sports. But when we put sports on the throne, that means Jesus can't be there. And praise God, there's 1% of high school athletes in the entire U.S. that will make it to some professional level. Go get it and shine a light of Jesus. The rest of us are going to be playing in old gyms that stink and we're going to play with a bunch of old guys someday. So let's be really careful where we put our hopes. But we all make disciples. We might be discipling athletes. We might be discipling students and academics. All kinds of things. But listen, Jesus said before he left the earth, I want you to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Show them how to do that. Teach them how to do that. Let them see what it looks like to love and forgive and to stay committed and work through difficult seasons. This is the the greatest commandment. It's not a suggestion. You want to know whether you might not feel God in your life? It's because you might not be about his business. You can't just tag him on to a Sunday and be like, check the box. No, no, no. He says, I gave my son fully and I expect you to do the same. And we have to learn how to do that. We have to learn to love the Lord your God with everything that we've got. And we've got to learn what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we've got to learn what it means to go and make disciples and do that intentionally. And that doesn't have to happen on foreign soil. But it will if you'll just be faithful in the ordinary moments. Acts 1.8. Last one. The greatest challenge. The greatest challenge we have. This is tied in that same chunk before Jesus ascends. And it gives us a little bit of clues of the concentric circles uh, that we're to to be faithful in. In verse 6, Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom to Israel? They're thinking, you're going to give us the power right now? And Jesus is like, hold up. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know what that passage says? That you are to make disciples and be witnesses of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was here in the flesh living my life, this is what it would look like. Now that's a greater challenge that I can ever accomplish. Thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit to help guide and convict, correct us. But he says, you're to be my witnesses. The way I always said it is it's here, wherever you might be, right here. You're to make disciples and be a witness. And over there, too. Those places that are outside of your comfort zone or they stretch you a little bit. And then even to Samaria, the place that you don't like. Let's be honest. If we're not doing all the uh, PR and we're trying to say all the right things, every single one of us 
has bias built into us. And there are certain moments, there are certain situations that make us incredibly comfortable. We have preconceived ideas. You put me in certain places, and I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. But you know what Jesus said? In your Jerusalem, in your home base, where you feel the most comfortable, be a witness. And in the area surrounding that, stretch out a little bit and be a witness. And that place you're afraid of, that place you don't want to go, the things that you've heard and said, and those things you believe about what might be a people or a country, he says, you go there too. Because you're to love your neighbor as yourself, not just as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. And I was willing to go get you. And so into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, the places were very uncomfortable going. And then he says to the ends of the earth, listen, America, we're not the ends of the earth. The Great Commission didn't land on our soil. The gospel landed our soil on our soil because somebody took the Great Commission serious and showed up and spread the gospel. So the American mentality that we have everything the world needs, listen, the world is coming to us because they're trying to reach us. So we are called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, where's the ends of the earth? Well, it depends on what part of the earth you're on. There are always more people to reach. Do you know that there are still unreached people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus? Never heard the gospel? Never heard it! You know, there are other groups that are unengaged, that there's just not enough people to show up to make a difference. And that's why we still need missionaries. That's why we still need people to go. But do you know where missionaries come from? They come from homes where people say, we're going to be loving the Lord our God with everything that we've got. And we're going to love our neighbor and show you what it looks like to love Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to reach out and we're going to try to live out this great commandment. And we're going to try to live out this great commission. And we're going to try to disciple you and love you and teach you to observe and ask for forgiveness a lot. My kids are over there. You can ask them. I apologize a lot. I drop the ball a lot in discipling and leading the way it should go. But we've got to be intentional in making those efforts. And it's about saying, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to make a difference. We're going to be a part of disciple now. We're going to go and work in somebody's house. We're going to try to make a difference. All of those things... They, they plant seeds, and then those seeds grow, and those seeds produce fruit. That If we're going to follow Jesus in an imperfect world, you know what we have to do? We've got to stop thinking about the Bible as a book primarily about us. I'm going through a hard time. I'm going to read the Bible, find something to make me feel better. The Bible is much bigger than that. It's a much bigger story. It's a story that says, this isn't about you, and you better be glad it's not about you because you've dropped the ball. That this story is a redemptive story that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, has put into play. That God created everything. That man is brought into, and they choose their own way, and they sin. That fair dies in the garden. That sin dies in the garden, or shows up in the garden, and it just flows through human history. And yet God doesn't give up, and he's got a plan. And all throughout the Old Testament... Into the New Testament, when Jesus hits the ground running, he's giving us a picture. You want to know what it looks like to faithfully follow the Lord? You look at the life of Jesus and you watch a perfect man. And a perfect man that was willing to sacrifice everything so that others might be reached. So the Bible is not primarily a book about us and how do we get better about all these different things. This book is about the one true God who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, and gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Whenever I get focused on myself... So I start talking about how unfair everything is. But God is much bigger than us, much bigger than the issues we face. But he's willing to come into our lives to those intimate, intricate little moments. And he says, 
I want to be there for you. I want to, I want to help you. I want to come alongside you. You never have to weep alone. I'm in this with you. D.L. Moody has said this, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. At some point, when my body's put in the ground, no one's going to talk about how I preached or what I drove or what my house was like. They're going to sit around and they're going to talk about influence. They're going to tell stories. I remember when we had this conversation. I remember when this happened. I remember when he went through this. And my hope and my prayer is that those conversations will be full of laughter and joy in Jesus. But you know what? That means every single day before I roll out of bed, I have to go, Lord, I am prone to wander. Lord, I'm prone to fear. I am prone to failure. I am prone to not know what to do. So, Lord, would you help me to love you with everything that I've got? Would you help me to love the people that are in my home and the people that are across the street and the people that are across the world? Would you help me to be, still be, learn what it means to be a disciple so that I can help other people know what Jesus is all about? And then, Lord, would you help me to just continue to be willing to put my yes on the table and go where you send me? Can you imagine if everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord would do that? If we would all wake up with that mentality and that effort and that realization that today matters because God has given me life. The theme is based on a song. It's a song called Bigger Than, and I want to read you some of the lyrics. You are able to provide. You are faithful in perfect time. Your goodness overwhelms, and I am held. Through the fire, you're my shield. Your protection never fails. No power can separate. I am safe. You are bigger than all my fears. God of love, God, my love. You are bigger than all my dreams. God, my hope, God, my peace. Whatever will come my way through each day, I will say, God, I trust you. I trust you. In the midst of our fears, in the midst of the unfairness that's in front of us, in the midst of the crises you're in the middle of, to be able to say, God, I trust you is how we can follow Jesus in an imperfect world. Let's pray.